This is Pastor Nathan Kirk, and I am so glad that you have decided to make Greater Life a part of your day by tuning in to the message that you're about to hear. We here at Greater Life are a group of people that are passionate about living for Christ, as well as service one to another. From our worship services, classes, and messages, we strive to love and serve with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. I hope you enjoy the message you're about to hear, that it is a blessing to you, and that in turn you may be a blessing to others. If you're searching for a church to call your home, I encourage you to join us here at Greater Life. In Thyatira. So, what, do anybody remember what was the church that we read about last week? Anybody remember? Pergamum, Pergamus. Not purgatory, but yes. We read about that church, and it was known or maybe um, indicated as the compromising church. We spent a lot of time last week simply talking about compromise and the danger of compromise and how important it is for us to hold true and hold firm to the confession of our belief and our convictions. And we're going to see that kind of take a step a little bit deeper here with the church of Thyatira. So before we dive in, I want to read I want to read one verse, but then I'm going to ask for a couple of passages to be read from, from you folks out there. So if somebody wouldn't mind reading the, the passage from Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 through 29. Does anybody want to read that for us here tonight? Sister Hatton. And then after that, I'm going to ask if there could be somebody that would kindly read from the book of First Kings chapter 21. First Kings chapter 21. Any takers on that one? Brother McGowan, all right, excellent. Uh, Brother McGowan, you'll be reading First Kings chapter 21, verses 1 through 16. <laughs> now, don't anybody ever get upset about reading more Bible. <laughs> Conviction just settled in right there. <laughs> Amen. This is the church of Thyatira we're reading about tonight. And there are some things I'm wondering if we could fill in. And so lastly, is there somebody that would be willing to write some things on the board for us here tonight? Is there anyone that would be willing to write some things on the board? Laney, all right. Excellent, thank you. Look at that, willingness. You can go on over there. We're not going to be ready for you for a little bit, though. So you can. All right, thank you. You may be seated. <laughs> First Kings chapter 16 and verse 31 is where I'm going to be reading from. Just one verse here tonight. And it gives us a little bit of a context. This church in Thyatira um, focuses and centers around one, really one, you could say one person, but it's really a theme or a spirit um, that has gripped a church. And it's dangerous. It's it's. it's, it's extremely dangerous. You know, I, I don't always like to come to church on Wednesday nights and be heavy. You know, I like to be, oh, let's be light and happy and let's be excited about revival and harvest and all these things. And I think all those things are wholly appropriate. But quite frankly, um, let's also not be ignorant of some things that are, that are extremely dangerous. Yeah, there are some, like, there are some things, just because we're Holy Ghost filled and holiness people doesn't mean that we are ultimately protected in every way. There are some things that are so dangerous. Um, and so we're, we're going to touch on that tonight. And it's, it's this theory, or this not theory, this notion in, in the embodiment of this person in the Old Testament, but also uh, we find here that's, that's taking place and happening within the church of Thyatira in the New Testament, and it's this person, um, Jezebel. So, now, before we get started, I want to make something really, really clear. I don't, be- I don't believe in telling somebody that they are a Jezebel. And some, I, I say that for a reason, because there have been some people maybe in previous generations who have been really heavy-handed with this term and have really come down really hard. <clears throat> and, and you've maybe, maybe, maybe some of you are like, I don't know what you're talking about. Good, great, I'm glad you don't. But some of you are like, yeah, I remember that. 
So I, I, I don't believe in that. I don't think that that's appropriate. I do believe that there is a spirit of Jezebel because that is what the Scripture tells us in this book, in Revelation, that there is a spirit of Jezebel. And that is whether, whether embodied in a person in their actions in the culture of a church, um, and the, so the, some people or the, the culture of the church or the spirit that's taking place within a church as well. It's a very dangerous thing, and it's something that we ought to be at least aware of, and, uh, and we want to draw out here tonight. So uh, 1 Kings chapter 16 is where we are introduced to Jezebel, and I want to give us some characteristics. Brother McGowan, when he reads from 1 Kings chapter 21, is going to tell, read a story about Jezebel and Ahab, and that's going to give us some more characteristics about Jezebel. And then in Revelation, when Sister Hatton reads it here in just a little bit, that'll kind of help us to tie a few things together um, uh, as we go through these scriptures. But in 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 31, it says, And it came to pass, as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took as wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians. And he went and served Baal and worshipped him. Jezebel, this is her introduction. And understanding who she is will give us a little insight into what's going on here and why this is so dangerous and why Jesus in Revelation speaks to this so firmly. Jezebel, uh, who was a princess um, of a Sidonian king, and his name was Ethbaal, literally in his name is Baal. That should be pretty telling. She married Ahab, but before uh, any of this happened and, 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 and kind of co-opted Ahab in the northern kingdom of Israel and took them into like really, really dark places morally, before any of this happened, she was raised as a daughter of Ethbaal, king of Sidonians. Now, uh, historically speaking, Ethbaal was a priest of Baal and Ashtoreth. He was basically a high priest, and he oversaw the worship of these horrible, horrible idols. And as priest, he betrayed and murdered his brother, who was the king of the Sidonians. He usurped his throne, and then he trained his daughter to become a high priestess to Baal and Ashtoreth. She was in the palace. She knew politics. She was wealthy. She was educated. She was in prime position to influence an entire nation. And so Ahab, the king of the northern kingdom, Israel, married Jezebel and brought her into a position of authority. And this was an attempted political alliance. But in this attempted political alliance, there was something that was compromised. And then in that compromise, there was something that was ultimately surrendered and lost. We're going to read about that a little later on. I'm just bringing this out tonight to give us a little bit of context about how, how really, truly evil and nefarious this is. When you see wickedness and darkness, there has to be a place where you put it to death. Where you don't have any more patience, and you don't tolerate it, and you also don't try to negotiate it, negotiate with it, or mess with it. So, what took, takes place, and we're going to read about this, is a displacement of Ahab's authority as king because of the influence of Jezebel. So, to that point, let's read about Revelation, about Thyatira, in Revelation two. Sister Hatton will read 18 through 29, if you would, please. She'll read this. And while she's reading this, let's maybe also keep in mind some of these, look for some of these themes that we have for uh, the church in Thyatira as well. And Sister Hatton, if you wouldn't mind, go ahead. Thank you. And unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works, and charity, and service, and faith, and thy patience, and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. 
Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts. And I will give unto every one of you according to your works. But unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan, as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden, but that which ye have already hold fast till I come. Oh, but that which ye have already, hold fast till I come. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of a potter shall, be, shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father. And I will give him the morning star. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. All right, there's a lot packed in there. So we're going to have to get through a lot tonight. And, uh, and I'm, I think we'll, we'll do what we can. Um, this is the longest message to the seven churches. And ironically, based on where the city is at, it's also the least significant in size or stature of the seven churches. We started with Ephesus and Smyrna, which are here. We went next to Pergamos, and now we're at Thyatira. Uh, we'll have these other churches to get to in near future, and, and um, we'll kind of see what those letters look like. But this fourth letter that we're reading tonight and that we, we just heard is to this church, and it, it centers around this individual concept and influence of a Jezebel and also what this has done to other people, what it's done to other people. Um, I will say this, that if you find, well, I'll back this up a little bit. I want to be really careful. Not for, Nobody needs to wear any kind of like shame or anything like that tonight. Quite frankly, if we've ever been found in a place where there's been bad or negative influences on our lives, it's, it's just that. It's influence. It's something that has had an influence in our lives, whether, whether we know it or not, and we've fallen into uh, traps. Okay, That's what the devil is expert at. And he has co-opted this spirit or this individual, this mindset, Jezebel, which is expert at her craft. She's expert at this craft, and we're going to talk about this. Brother McGowan's going to read in just a few in just a minute here about Jezebel and, and a story that we read in the Old Testament about her craft and what she has done. At this point, she's already been married to Ahab. At this point, she's already inserted and started to in, insert her influence and assert her influence within the kingdom. And then at this point, something happens within the kingdom that I want us to, to hear about here tonight. And this helps us to understand the danger of this Jezebel. So, Brother McGowan, if you wouldn't mind, could you read First uh, Kings chapter 21, verses 1 through 16. And it came to pass after these things <clears throat> that Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard, which was in Jezreel, hard by the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And Ahab spake unto Naboth, saying, Give me thy vineyard, that I may have it for a garden of herbs, because it is near unto my house, and I will give thee for it a better vineyard than it, or, if it seem good to thee, I will give thee the worth of it in money. And Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid it me, that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. And Ahab came into his house heavy and displeased because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he had said, I will not give thee the inheritance of my fathers. And he laid him down upon his bed and turned away his face and would eat no bread. Okay, time out. We need to just hold on for a second here. This is a king. This is not like, you know, like a, 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 a child king. This is a grown man. He's not eight years old, like Josiah when he was king. 
This is a grown man. And you think about it, Jezebel, like, like a predator, finds a weak man, but with power and with authority. And here he is, and he says, there's this, he sees this vineyard that's owned by Naboth, and, and he wants it because it's close to where he lives. It's close to my house. I don't have to go very far. So I really want this. And he says, I, here, I got a great deal for you. I'll give it to me, and I'll give you an even better one, or I'll just, I'll just straight up buy it from you. And Naboth said, I can't do that. It's part of my family. This has been in my family for generations. I, I don't feel like I, I, I can't surrender that. And the Bible says that this grown man king goes home and starts pouting. He turns his face against the wall. And his servants, just, like, picture this. His servants bring him food. And he's like, I don't want to eat anything. His name won't give me a field. You're the king. I don't just get a little field. So in comes... The opportunist. Go, go ahead. You just listen to this, folks. This is. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said unto him, Why is thy spirit so sad that thou eatest no bread? And he said unto her, Because I spake unto Naboth the Jezreelite, and said unto him, Give me thy vineyard for money, or else if it please thee, I will give thee another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give thee my vineyard. And Jezebel his wife said unto him, Dost thou now govern the kingdom of Israel? Arise, and eat bread, and let thine heart be married. I will give thee the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name, and sealed them with his seal, and sent the letters unto the elders and to the nobles that were in his city dwelling with Naboth. And she wrote in the letters, saying, Proclaim a fast, and set Naboth on high among the people. And set two men, sons of Belial, before him, to bear witness against him, saying, Thou didst blaspheme God and the king, and then carry him out and stone him, that he may die. And the men of his city, even the elders and the nobles who were the inhabitants in his city, did as Jezebel had sent unto him, them, and as it was written in the letters which she had said unto them. Okay, so hold there for a second. Jezebel. She comes in and finds an opportunity. She said, well, she said honey, what's, what's wrong? Honey, what, what's, what's the matter? Nabal's going to give me a field. I tried to buy it from him. Like this sob story, right? And she says, don't worry about a thing. I got this. I'm an expert. The unset spoken part. I'm an expert at things like this. You think this is a big deal? My dad killed my uncle so that he could be the king. You think this little guy with his vineyard is a big deal? We can take care of this for you. So she sends out letters in the king's name. She's now usurping his authority. He's letting it go. Okay. And sending it out in his name. And notice what she does here. Think about this. She, said, she finds two men, sons of, of what? Belial. Is that a good thing or not? Just, I'm just curious. That's really bad. These are bad dudes. And she says, what they're going to do is these two are going to bear witness against Naboth, saying that he blasphemed against God and the king. Now, let me ask you this question. Why did she, I want you to put your thinking caps on. Why did she do that? Why did she? And think about this. Just, just think. Think about Old Testament. Think about some of the rules that they had. She knew, she knew that they would stone him and kill him for that. And she knew that there, there needed to be two witnesses. That's not... But hear this, those two things together are not the doctrine of Baal or Ashtoreth. That's the law. So she's saying, I'm in a position of influence and manipulation. 
I don't believe this law. I'm above the law because I'm the queen, but I'm going to use this law to my advantage. I'm going to use the things of the kingdom of God to my advantage to get what I want. Now, are we seeing that happen at all today? Are we starting to see that spirit in our climate, in our culture, in our atmosphere a little bit today? One of the places that I, well, Brother McGowan, you better keep reading because we got to get to the end of this story. And the men of his city, even the elders and the nobles who were the inhabitants in the city, did as Jezebel had said unto them, and as it was written in the letters which she had sent unto them. They proclaimed a fast, and set Naboth on high among the people. And there came in two men, the children of Belial, and sat before him. And the men of Belial witnessed against him, even against Naboth, in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth did blaspheme God and the king. Then they carried him forth out of the city, and stoned him with stones, that he died. Then they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth is stoned and is dead. And it came to pass, when Jezebel heard that Naboth was stoned and was dead, that Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give thee for money, for Naboth is not alive but dead. And it came to pass, when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, that Ahab rose up to go down to the vineyard of Nahab, or Naboth the Jezreelite to take possession of it. Okay, yeah, Robin. So, okay, great question. So she asked, Sister Hadden asked the question, why was a fast proclaimed? What, any, any, any thoughts on that? Any thoughts on that? Um, Lee, can we get Lee the, the microphone? Por favor. Thank you. Um, I believe... I believe it was to, to bring everybody together. So it's, it's not, it's, it's done in the, in the eyes of everyone to, um, and, and everyone would follow through with it, right? Because she's using the, the things of God against him. And it's, and it's like, now everyone's there like, <gasps> and everybody's with it. And so the whole sin is on the whole, is on the whole people. Yeah. Causing the people to see him. Yeah. Any, any other, anyone else? Good. Very good. Yeah. Hold on one second. One second. One of my thoughts was like, so maybe all the people were really weak and maybe didn't question as hard or like to weaken the people maybe. I'm thinking of that like massacre circumcision that happened at some point in yeah. <laughs> the stories. <laughs> I think no, go, ahead. go ahead I think Jezebel wanted to uh, uh, make this really a serious matter so she claimed the fast that all the people would um, get behind her and make this uh, Nadab uh, an evil person which he was not but she had to put uh, a show on a big yeah, so I think all these kind of tie together that it was, it was a show. It was a show. Um, Saul, Saul did kind of a, a very similar thing. Saul, King Saul proclaimed um, an irresponsible and a wrong fast, and it weakened all the men. And if you remember, Jonathan didn't hear about the fast, and all the men are weak, and they're sad, and they're depressed, and they're down, like, what are we going to do? And Jonathan comes up with a, with, he's got a rod in his hand, and he sticks it in the honeycomb, and he eats it, and his eyes are lighting, like, he's just feeling great, right? Like, he's doing great. Because he's like, I'm not fasting. I don't know what you guys are doing this for, but I'm not. And, and so, in theory, like Jezebel, like she called the fast, but really Ahab called it. Because he gave his authority over to her. Whether or not he actively did that, she took it. She saw him in the corner, looking at the wall, not eating anything, sucking his thumb. And she said, I, I got this from here. And she took the authority that he... He just gave up. And, and notice at the end of the story that she doesn't even tell him all the stuff that just happened. She just comes back into the room and she's like, I got really good news. The weirdest thing happened today. Naboth is dead. And I don't know. He was just standing there and a bunch of rocks fell on him. I'm not sure how it happened. 
but uh, go take his field because he's dead. Yeah, in favor of the Lord, right? Like, that's the whole idea. Like, let's call a fast because it, it makes it seem really, it makes it seem spiritual. It makes it, and, and what is her goal? Her goal is to take the, the things of the Lord to pollute them and ultimately to wipe them completely out. She wants to take, like, she can go along with some of this for a while, but the end game is to wipe it completely out. It wasn't just about the field. It was anybody with any kind of awareness, observation, common sense, eyes to see, knew Naboth wasn't a blasphemer and an evil person. But she used the systems that were available to her to manipulate. And so if you saw that as an observer, and it was as public as it was, you're like... Let's keep her head down. Let's not. And so it's that she's, she's intimidating beyond just the event that's happening. Mm-hmm. She's putting out like, hey, you're next if you want to mess with me. Kinda. Yeah. It's, it's wickedness. Sending a, it's sending a message. It's, it's destruction. It's evil. It's evil, evil. And no one would dare stand up. Even the prophet, he, he ran. It's like, I am out of here. After that, after that great victory on Mount Carmel, Jezebel says, I'm going to do the same thing to you. And he's like, see ya. And he <laughs> runs for 40 days. <laughs> he's, he's so afraid he runs for 40 days. No, he's so scared that he wishes he was dead. That's the power and the influence of a Jezebel. That's the power and the influence of a Jezebel. Now imagine that in a church. Some of you, you're maybe like, I don't know if I really have to imagine that. I've, maybe I, you've experienced that. I would say this. You've maybe experienced things possibly similar to it, but you haven't really, I don't think we've really experienced, unless we come from some, from some really dark, horrible places. And maybe you have. I don't know this, all the stories, but um, this, is, this is maniacal. It's evil. It's wickedness. It's intentionally wrong. It's not two people that are set against each other that both think that they're in the right and doing the work of the kingdom of God. This is somebody that's trying to kill and destroy and wipe out everything. People that, well, we see that today. Well, I mean, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, actually, so let's hold on. So let's do this. Let's jump up to um, Thyatira. And go back to Revelation chapter 2. And let's jump up. Because all of this stuff, this, this whole Jezebel atmosphere. And Lainey, I think you're up. It's your time. We believe in you. Um, all of this stuff is taking place now. These sorts of things are taking place now in a church. Like in a body of believers gathered together. This is taking place within a church. I don't know if it's necessarily... I want to say coincidence, or if it's just my, it's just through my observation. But I think it's interesting that the previous church that we looked at, Pergamos, is the church of compromise. But when you don't take care of compromise, it ought, it, it leads to corruption. So this is a corrupt church. And I don't know if that's just kind of just one of those interesting observations to make, or if that's by, was by design or intent. But it is something that maybe I'll just throw that out there. If you don't take care of compromise, it will lead to dark corruption. It, it, it will. And, and to think that it won't is to deceive ourselves. So, so let's open up here in, in Revelation 2. Um, the, the title given to Jesus. So let's start with that. This is Revelation 2, starting 18 through 29. What's the title given to Jesus? Son of God. <laughs> so, Son of God, eyes like flame of fire. Feet like what? Fine brass. Or like purified brass. 
All right. Where in Revelation chapter 1 do we find those attributes assigned to Jesus when he's speaking to John? Verses 14 and 15. Excellent. We're doing great. All right. What are the commendations that the Lord gives to this church? What are they doing well? What are they doing well? <laughs> we will get to that. So the question was, what's the depth of the meaning of feet like fine brass? So good question. We, that is, I will get to that. Yeah. Grass. <laughs> feet like fine grass. It's like walking in the golf course. Is this a putting green? Thank you, Lord. Like, what? That's all right. Okay. Uh, what are their accommodations? What are they doing well? What does the Lord say that they're doing well? So works. Okay. Anybody that says works aren't important, we keep seeing this this keeps coming up to the commendations for these churches. What you do is important. What you do is important. Charity. So, yeah, another word for charity is love. What was that somebody said? Devotion? That is a part of love. Yes. I think I follow you. I think I follow you. No, I think you're good. You're good. Okay. Um, service. So let's define service. What does that mean? Putting others before you, serving others. I think that's good. Okay. Yeah, that's really good. Uh, Sister Hannah said they've gotten better with time. Like, that's no small thing, especially if Scripture puts it in there as a commendation. That's no small thing. Because here's what we do. Oftentimes, we will, not we as in us, you folks, but just in our nature, our human nature is to start off with a bang, and then just fall off, right? And it's, sometimes it's a slow fade, and sometimes you just, just dive right off. And what this, what this church did is they started off with some works, some good things, and then they just kept getting better. They excelled in those things. Like it says in Corinthians about the Corinthian church, when Paul's writing them, um, ironically, he's writing them about, uh, about m- money, and abounding in the grace that the Macedonians abound in as well. But he says, you do all kinds of things great. And he says, keep doing those good things, but, but abound in this grace also. Be abundant in, in these different graces. So I think that that's, that's wonderful. That's a huge commendation. And then the last thing is uh, patience. I think patience. Yeah, I think a lot of these, they kind of work together, right? Because like works... Works done out of love, and works done out of love not for yourself, but love for other people and service to others that continues, that with your patience gets better over time. Like it's like this nice little trail that you take. Sure, they didn't compromise, they got better, they continued to improve. Okay. We good? All right. Do we say faith? Faith is up there too, by the way. Let's put faith. Faith. Brother Wilson. Where's that microphone at? 
Can we? Oh, thank you, Sister Leanne. Hold on. Yeah, wait, it's, I don't think it's on. Oh. No, it's muted. There, that's better, yeah. I liked it better the other way. No, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. I'm just joking. Well, shut my mouth. <laughs> Let us pray. No, okay, go ahead. Um, just uh, in, it, it, I noticed that it, it uses the word, I know thy works, twice. And I'm just thinking that there's an emphasis on the works because it's set in the same paragraph, it's, or verse, I should say, it's listed twice. I know thy works and charity and service and faith and thy patience and thy works. And, then, and obviously the last to be more than the first and they're doing better at the end, but the works uh, specifically are emphasized, I believe. Yeah, and I think that that's really valid simply because, you know, again, what you do, what we do matters. Sometimes we can be really good at what we say. Uh-oh. Sometimes we can be really good at what we say, <clears throat> but what do we do? What, what good does it do somebody to say, if you're, if you're cold and hungry, go be warm and be fed? doesn't do you any good. Like, if you, when you've been so hungry and somebody says, think positive thoughts about being full, like, you're like, I'm going to knock you over the head and take your lunch. That's, that's about as positive as I can feel because I'm hangry right now. It's about what we do. What you do matters. What we do matters. And the Lord sees what you do. I, going back, Sister Hatton mentioned the question of the, uh, some of the characteristics of Jesus. Um, so let's go back a little bit and uh, go and talk about these, these characteristics. So he's the Son of God. So it starts off saying that he's the Son of God. This is the last time in Scripture that you'll see Jesus referred to as the Son of God. Because after this, now depending on where you stand on, on rapture, I'm not starting any debates tonight, so don't even think about it. Do not come and talk to me about pre, post, mid-trib after any of these lessons. I don't, I don't want to talk to you about it. But, <laughs> I love you, but still, don't talk to me about it. Um, but... This is the last time you see Jesus being referred to as the Son of God. After this, um, in Revelation 4 and on, his sonship has ended because the church is with him. Anyway, okay, well, <laughs> we'll just keep going. Um, that dispensation is over. And, but one of the reasons why Son of God, at least, at least in an understanding, Son of God is used is because the city, city of Thyatira was the patron city of the Roman god Apollo. And Apollo was known as the son of Zeus. So in some ways, at least I think one of the connections that we can make here is that Jesus is writing and saying, this is the true son of God. Like not this, this idol that's set up in this city. It's the true son of God, Jesus Christ. Eyes like a flame of fire... It's this piercing, purifying gaze from Jesus, seeking the commendations, but also seeking where we have failed. I want the Lord to look at me and burn out anything in me don't just see the good things. Don't just tell me about the good things. Lord, if it's going to take me from this place to the next place, tell me, about, tell me about not just the good things. Tell me about what you have against me. Then it says, his feet are like fine brass. For some of you Bible scholars, um, you might maybe know or have thought about this. What does brass represent in Scripture? Anybody? If you've done some studying on this, or maybe you've heard about this. Strength, so okay. Anybody else? Is Daniel's dream? 
Yep, so that's, that's kind of thematic in this as well. It has meaning to that. There's application there. One of the things that brass represents is brass represents judgment. And this speaks of his qualifications and his credentials to judge. And the fact that, they, that the brass is fine or pure means that it's gone through the fire and it's been purified. And so this is not just somebody of a position. This is somebody that has gone through the fire. Like he's gone through the fire of his passion in the cross. He went down to the depths of hell and took the keys after, uh, after he was crucified. Like he's gone through the fire. And he's pure. It's pure ability to judge rightly. And that's one of the things our world detests about Christians, about true followers of Jesus Christ and people that live their lives to this book is the notion of feeling judged. They detest Christians because they feel as though they are being judged and compared to, um, to this book. And Jesus says, well, I've been through the fire. I've walked through it all, and there's pure judgment when it comes to Jesus. To the point where even, the, even his harshest critics, even the people that speak the worst about Jesus, um, their knee will bow, and their tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So he has the sole authority to rightfully walk and judge throughout his churches. So these are, their, these are his attributes, these are the commendations, but now there's another part in there that we have to get to, and we've got to hurry for this tonight, but it's they're failing. They're failing. He says, I have a, he says, I have a few things against you. Just a few. I have a few things against you. Right, so the question in case you didn't hear, do you think it was an actual person or do, you, or do we think it's figurative? And the answer, in my opinion, the answer is yes. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know, I, I don't know. And scripture is not abundantly clear about that. It does speak to somewhat of a, with some specificity. So it could be with a person. But it's not, if it is with a person, it's not independent of that spirit. And so one of the things you see in, in the rest of Revelation, when you read the rest of rest, Revelation, if you dare, um, is, a, is, the note, is the implication in the notion of a spirit of Jezebel. And so if it, is in, if it is representing a person and a person that's deceiving and manipulating and extremely dangerous, then it's not absent of that spirit of Jezebel in that, in that context with the church. Does that make sense? So it's a good question. So Tammy. Like did the spirit of Satan enter into her that she was so terrible? Like, that is a that is a great question. So the, go ahead. Sorry, well, but and then, <laughs> okay, go ahead. <laughs> sorry, okay, and then so also, where did her heart? I know you had said compromise. Compromise leads to um, corruption, but it makes me sad because where did her heart go wrong? How did it become so evil? You know, her yes. father was Great. evil. So did she always grow up only knowing evil and never knowing? Like, right. she had an opportunity. I'm sure she was a beautiful young lady who could have used her influence for great things. But what happened along the way, like, did a spirit of Satan enter her? No. Great questions. Does anybody want to handle these? <laughs> 
I, I have some thoughts on this, but so here's 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 my this is just this is just me now. Okay, this is what I've learned. This is the position I've studied this out, and this is the position that I'm adopting. So you can take this for what it is. In Scripture, there are a few people in Scripture that their personal spirit is so potent that it is that the Lord takes it and emulates that to put on other people. For example, the Lord takes Moses and he says, Moses, I'm going to take you and 70 elders. And he says, choose from among you elders whom you know to be elders. And I'll take the spirit that you have and I'll put it on them. Or likewise, Elijah and Elisha. Elisha had Elijah's mantle, but the scripture says that when they saw Elisha, his his protege, coming, they said, he has the spirit of Elijah. When John the Baptist came on the scene, they said that he 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 also had the spirit of Elijah. So, what we take from that is it's a, a person's, this is just me now, okay? This is just me. So go ahead and Google it and get your own doctrine somewhere else. But this is just me. Is that when a person's spirit is so aligned with the will of God, the Lord says, I like that, I like that template so much and who you are in your alignment with me that I want to put that on somebody else. We see this with Jezebel in that she perfected intimidation and idolatry and corruption. She perfected it so much, this is just my belief, that the devil said, I like that so much that I want to replicate that and put that on others. I want that to be a template for how we can... Because the enemy has been working to to manipulate and corrupt humanity from the garden. But then when he sees somebody doing it in the flesh that has perfected it, he says, okay, I think I can take that and I can use that. The question is, when does it turn... So we're going to read this. I'm going to bring to this right now. When does it turn from... uh, from, um, uh, from compromise to corruption. And I think the text draws that out. The text draws it out, in, in out and I'll bring it right here, in a, and we'll just put it to this. It says, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You've allowed the woman Jezebel, so on and so forth. Verse 21 is where it bears it out. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, the key is, I gave her time to repent. And she did not repent. And the notion that's drawn from that in the text and the way that that text is written is not necessarily the way that we read it, but the way that that text is written is that she chose to not repent. So when the Lord says, I'm giving you time, this is what you need to do, And when you proactively choose and you say, I want this instead of that. And there are people, their lives take a corrupt moral turn when the the Lord does this with people. He will, he'll like whittle down their lives to a, to like a thin, a thin thread. And he'll say, I'm, I'm trying to get you to a place where you turn back to me. And when they get to that place, they, they can, and they have that opportunity to repent, there are those that simply say, I don't want to repent. I want to live this way. This is, this is how I want to be. This is what I want to give my life over to. And it's a, it's a very dangerous thing it's not even, you know, I would, I would say it's a dangerous game to play, but it's not a game. It's, it's extremely volatile and extremely dangerous. Sister Jody, hold on, you've been sick. No, 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 I'm not going to, we're not going to make you. 
No, you're fine. That was an old man sound right there. So just a little clarity. When you say their lives are whittled down and then they choose not to repent, when you say they're whittled down, that must be like, and and correct me, of course, if I'm wrong, but you're saying they're, they're at that point where they're like, they have to be in absolute misery, right? Well, I, I mean, mean, yes. I, there's I would no say yes. joy in that. There's no, like, do I choose this joy or God's joy, right? They right. must be utterly miserable and still given time to repent, and they choose not to. Right, yeah, because right. you're trying I mean, to walk both roads. Correctly? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and the, Lord, and the Lord does that to us. I mean, he, the, he puts the pressure on. And he says, you know, his goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. And when we, when we do wrong and we know that we're doing wrong, the Lord is still, uh, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man, he, like, he's like, I'm still knocking. I'm still knocking. I'm still knocking. And it's that prodigal son who's, who has, who, his life is being whittled away to now defiling, standing at the precipice of defiling himself in a pig pen. Like taking himself to the next level of intentional defilement. And he has an opportunity there. Do I want to continue in this? Or do I want to turn back to my father? He chose to turn back to his father. But there are those that say, no, I'm I'm going to continue in this. But but it's, it's even more nefarious than that. Because, they, because when you begin to lose morals, and what you will find is that when Jezebel was introduced into Israel, Israel began to have a very steep decline in their morals. They were already morally compromised, but this is where, this is where it starts to turn from bad to dark with Jezebel's introduction. So now they're not just living a life. I'll put it like this. This is just, this, again, this is just me tonight, but um, you're asking the questions. I'm holding the microphone. So, um, <laughs> but there's, there's more, more, there are wiser people here that can comment to this. But it's like the book of Judges. If you read in the book of Judges, Judges goes from, hey, go sit down. Judges goes from, uh, in case anyone's listening online, I was talking to my son. <laughs> <laughs> Um, judges goes like from bad to worse to dark. And there's a transition in this book and, and the language is very, very clear. There's a transition in this book and it, it's, when it goes from bad to worse, the, the Bible says that the people did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. So they're like, we know that this is wrong. This is evil and we shouldn't be doing this, but we're doing it. But then when it goes from bad to worse to then dark, and when, it, when we talk about dark, the book of Judges goes dark. It gets, it gets so terrible, I don't even want to say it because like the buildup of the context is important. Otherwise, we're going to sound like psychopaths. Like, that's in the Bible? Yeah, it's in the Bible. But the transition from being like bad to dark was it starts with, they did that which is evil on the side of the Lord, and then when it gets dark, it's they did that which was right in their own eyes. So when you do what you know is evil and wrong, you're like, I know this is wrong, and I shouldn't be doing this. Oh, you know, okay. Oh, wretched man that I am, or something, I don't know. But like, then when you go to this, and you're like, I don't care, because I think this is actually right. I think this wickedness and this evil that I'm doing, I've exchanged it. And Isaiah talks about, woe to them that exchange good for evil and evil for good. Right, so they've made that exchange, and now that's the life that they're choosing to live, and they're calling evil, they're actually calling it good. Yeah. Yeah, that's... Yes, where you have to have... With, yeah, so for those that didn't hear, there comes that point in living in sin where you have to have that flip. What does the Bible say about them that having seared their conscience, they just seared it with an iron, and they said, I, I don't need that conscience anymore. I'm just going to operate on what I know and what I believe to be true. Lee, go ahead. Well, secondly, I don't think your microphone is on. 
we're going to have a we're going to do a, a YouTube video <laughs> for all of us. Hello. Oh, you're good. Yeah, yeah, you're good now. So just really quick, I, the, the thing is, is I can uh, really truly relate to this Jezebel uh, spirit or whatever. But there's some slight uh, there's a slight difference or whatever because I I mean I come from drugs and alcohol and 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 the hood and and things like that to where to where it was like like God you got to do something because I think I love this stuff and I I don't have any other choice right now and if you don't do something I'm it's not going to be done because I'm I'm stuck I'm I'm here and and this is I'm accepting this as me to where. With the Jezebel thing, the Jezebel thing, it was more like she was, I mean, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have no winnings. Or a lot of us wouldn't have, we weren't winning. It was misery like Jody say. But it's more like with her, it was, she was winning. She was winning. She was sitting in a place of royalty, sitting in a seat of, she's sitting in, uh, uh, everything is just beautiful. And if I make it look good to you, you'll accept it for your doctrine to where it's, Oh, it must be right. God worked too slow. And, and what couples, the, the, the danger of Jezebel, what couples with that is the threat that she brought with it. Because she took power. She, she, when, when Ahab surrendered power, and that's when, the, that's when the relationship of influence and power are out of control. So she had all the influence, but then he surrendered his power and authority as the king. And when she took that, um, she commanded might. And the intent, as it was for Elijah and the rest of the prophets that she was, that she was killing, was to kill and completely wipe out everything that has anything to do with the kingdom of God so that her agenda of Baal and Ashtoreth could reign supreme. And they'll allow, they'll allow those things to, to, to live um, in tandem for a while until they begin to tear, until, until they begin the destructive pattern. And there's a danger in that. And, and I, I'm not trying to be fear-mongering or anything tonight, but I do want to say this, because we're out of time, so we need to wrap up tonight. But I do want to say this. In our world, in Christianity, especially in North America, but actually in Europe, and, and it's, it's happening all over the world, is that there are agendas that have co-opted the voice of Christianity. You know that there are Bibles that are sold that take all of the names of the Lord and all the pronouns for the Lord, and they insert either opposite gender names or pronouns or trans pronouns, copies of this book, your Bible. They leave out certain verses that would be convicting, and, and they're sold. Did you know that there are, on, on campuses and universities, there are LGBTQIA plus uh, churches that gather to celebrate in the name of God, they say, their individuality, their sexuality, And it's, it's all a big celebration. We're, we're seeing this corruption take place, not just in our universities, not just in random churches throughout the metropolitan areas. Now, you can call me tinfoil hat pastor if you want to, but let me just tell you, it's happening at a government level. That the intention, you know, people that hold public office hate, many of them hate Christians. They hate Christianity. And they want to see Christianity completely taken out. The reason they hate America is not because, um, not because of political ideologies. It's because it's a, it was founded on Judeo-Christian values. Now, founding fathers didn't get everything right. You understand that. But they hate America because, because of that. Um, because of the values that it was founded on. So they want to see it completely undone, completely unwritten, and completely destroyed. And 
and they're whittling away at the different groups, at the different, you know, first it was the Tea Party, then the Libertarian Movement, and now conservatives, you know, and, and you could kind of go down the list and find all these other groups that they're kind of whittling away at. But what it's coming down to is people that stand with the name of Jesus Christ. That's what it's coming down to. And what it's coming down to, and we should not be surprised, it's happened throughout all of history. What makes a miracle so special that it wouldn't happen to us? If it happened to God's people who were given laws from Mount Sinai that God wrote with his finger himself, <laughs> like, right? Like, if it happened to them, what makes us so special that it can't happen to us? And what eventually, I think what eventually will happen is, is that it will be might that makes... It's devolving right back into chaos where might is right. But what you find in this church, in the word to this church, is this. If you stay steadfast, if you get that junk out of the church, hear me. Well, don't hear me. Hear what the word says. Like, don't put up with it get it out of the church. They, they have an opportunity to repent of their deeds. Like the Lord is so merciful, he says he's even giving Jezebel an opportunity to repent. That's merciful. That's like way merciful. Okay, they have an opportunity. But if they don't, he says, I'm coming with the feet of fine brass, with the eyes of flaming fire. I'm coming. I'll throw her into a sickbed and those that commit adultery into great tribulation unless they repent. I'll kill her children with death. This is, I don't have time to get into this tonight. But here's what's beautiful that he says to the church. He says, now to the rest of you, verse 24, I say this, the rest of the Thyatira, as many of you as, that don't have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I'm not going to put any other burden on you. Like, this Jezebel spirit is so heavy. He's like, I'm not going to put any other burden on you. That's, that's, you've, you've st stood the course. You've kept the faith. <laughs> I'm not going to put any other burden on you. But he does say this. Hold fast, though. Hold fast to what you have until I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He will rule with a rod of iron, and they'll be dashed into pieces like the potter's vessels, as I also have received from my father. Um, what we're seeing here is that, ironically, the very thing that Jezebel wanted was to rule over the nations is what the Lord says, I'll give to you if you remain faithful to me. And church, just, just hear, hear these last words here tonight. Um, compromise and corruption is not an inevitability of his church. I hope that that makes sense. Even in the minority, quite frankly, even in the vast minority, compromise and corruption is not an inevitability for his church. If he says to this church, Thyatira, hold on to what you have until I come and keep these works up until the end. If he's telling them to do that, he wouldn't tell us to do something that we can't do. Now, we need him for that. We need less of ourselves and more of him for that. But the, the reality is this. Compromise and corruption are not an inevitability. And what, and what this world is attempting to do and to take by force, we don't have to give up or surrender. We don't have to give up or surrender authority. Now, they may come and do things, and I don't know, I don't know what the times that we're facing look like. I, we don't know. They may, who, knows what, who knows what this world will do and, and turn on the church? I don't know. Well, we heard on Sunday morning from Pastor Hatton, you don't got to bow. You don't, we don't have to bow. Throw you in the fire? Okay. Guess where we get to go? 
<laughs> just get it. Well, I don't know. I mean, let's, if we don't have to get it done, I don't want to get it done. <laughs> Whatever it takes, we don't have to compromise. And we don't have to face, we don't have to become corrupt. He can, he can have a pure bride. Yeah, Yeah. So what do they have? So the question is, we went over what they're overcoming. What is this church overcoming? So it's a couple of things. One, one of the things is them overcoming um, what's about to happen to Jezebel and her followers. Like, wrap your head around this. This is... This is coming to your shore, and you're going to see some things happen. I might preach on this on Sunday, but do you remember when, you remember when um, Israel is in the wilderness, and, and they're complaining and, and starting to serve idols and doing horrible things, and the Lord says, okay, I'll fix you. I'll send serpents into the camp. Not just any serpents, fiery serpents that are poisonous. Like, all of your worst nightmares coming to pass. Um, you have to wrestle with that. You have to wrestle with seeing judgment being meted out and knowing that God is still just. That's something to overcome. He's still just. But in addition to that, it's, it's holding fast and not allowing yourself to be corruptible and continuing the good works right up until the very end. Like, if you can do those things, then you, then you can overcome. And to you that overcomes. But the, the, because the beautiful thing is he says, I'm not going to put any other burden on you. I'm not going to ask you to do a bunch of other things. Just, just keep, keep doing what you're doing. And shield your eyes from what's coming. <laughs> and then he says, that's, that's enough. Church, I'll tell you, this might not have been the most encouraging message here tonight, but I'll say this. Um, compromise is not in, our, in, in my vocabulary, and corruption should not be in our lifestyle. And Jesus Christ is coming for a pure bride. And no matter how bad this world gets, Scripture gives us some help on that and says that evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse. And the history of this book and history of humanity tells us what's happening. But we have a righteous judge who is coming back for his church. And he's going to set everything straight. And according to what we just read about Thyatira, he's going to take his faithful followers to rule and reign with him with, with an iron rod. That's pretty intense. So don't lose heart. Don't start letting things trend in the wrong direction. Let's keep doing this more and more because Jesus Christ is coming soon. And whether or not, whether or not we do these works until he comes or whether or not we do these works until the end, to the end of us. Whichever comes first, I don't care. Whichever, whether it's him coming back for his church or this life being over, whichever comes first, I don't care. Let's keep being the church. Let's not compromise. Let's not allow corruption to settle into our lives. Let's keep being a lighthouse and trusting the Lord. Amen. Amen. God bless you tonight. You can.